G'day legends and welcome back to another episode of the Montana Project. This episode, I think it's 23 this week, uh, we got to sit down with a good friend of ours, Ricky Dan. We had a chat about his uh, PhD candidacy, um, his business, which is called Surf Science, and um, his most recent challenge of running 160 kilometers on the Gold Coast. Now, one of the benefits from this podcast is obviously meeting just legends like this that you can, I guess, draw inspiration from, but also just hear his story and, yeah, dive deeper into someone who's <laughs> willing to take on a challenge like that, but learn so much more. And I've found it's a common occurrence because usually get someone on the podcast to chat about something specific and <laughs> it ends up being like the least talked about thing. But yeah, we had a great chat. So I hope you guys really enjoy. Sometimes like comes mm. a bit too much and we'll just laugh and heaps yeah. and that sort of thing as well. But yeah, mate, it's great to have you here. So welcome to the Montana Project. Thanks, mate. Stoked to be here. Yeah, it's been it's been a good little evening. You've been obviously instructed on how to make a proper taco now as well. Absolutely, <laughs> there's an order that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think we get put through the ringer each week by Amy. Just don't forget it. it. Yeah, yeah, no. As long as the mince melts the cheese, I think. I think that, yeah, I think that's the most important thing. I reckon Avo's got to be on the bottom though. Yeah, it ha- it's just the easiest way to get it out. Easy yeah. to spread. It's easy yeah. to spread. And then you, you get it, once, it, once you fold it, you get it with everything rather than just getting it a chunk. Mind you, mind you, to play the devil's advocate, <laughs> if you're doing everything across in a line, you're always going to get a bite of everything. Oh, that is true. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's not what this episode's about. This episode is about you, my friend. So tell us a bit about yourself. We, we sort of had a chat anyway before, but obviously you haven't originally started out on the coast. No, so I moved down um, a couple of years ago now, lived in Cooley for a year or so, and then just moved up just down the road um, to like around Nobbies. So, and yeah, absolutely loving it. I've been wanting to move to the Goldie for ages, so I'm glad to be here and meeting cool guys like yourself. So mm. it's been great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like we were saying earlier, just before we jumped on, how the living on the Gold Coast my entire life, it was kind of hard to get my head around small town living and just like when we're driving around new zealand or even just when you leave the coast like it's it's so hard to put yourself in a position of like what it's like to grow up in a small town like that and you're saying you're originally kind of from gimpy but also Mm. sunny coast yeah so what was that like and how did you sort of get from there to where you are now yeah we had um we had five acres in gimpy so it was just so much space and room we had a tennis court and um yeah plenty of space that was awesome to grow up in um and then yeah moving to brizzy went from space to absolutely nothing just small <laughs> apartments in like tawong and indro and yeah um so that was a huge change and then yeah i'm lucky in the place i'm in now it's um it's got a bit of a backyard and stuff but i mean yeah we were speaking about like hong kong and and overseas <laughs> earlier tonight and it's like at least it's not like that but still a bit of space here on the goldie so yeah yeah how'd you go with surfing because obviously you're a big surfer mm. um living in gimpy and well mate no surfing <laughs> so that was a struggle um just regular trips to the sunny coast so yep. um and in brizzy so i was there for like yeah seven or eight years and you just check the forecast and hope the weekend's good and i didn't have a car for like like three or four years in brizzy so i'd just catch 
it was like a 3 a.m train and then a bus from varsity legs to burley and a bus from burley to snapper and then all the way home and dedication adventure but <laughs> and then it'd be just crap so <laughs> but no so made the effort but now i just walk to the beach so it's great yeah, yeah. I, I remember having someone i think when i was doing my apprenticeship they were telling me and he's a really good surfer and he's like mate you just got to get out there even on the shit days because mm. they're the ones that like you put in all that effort and when you get a good day and you've been used to like taking off on crumbs yeah like that's when it really benefits you but yeah it's that's mm. a lot of effort to get there i was just going to touch on because obviously Corey, you lived in sydney for a while as mm. well like i've never been big on cities for more than like a couple of days but like i know there's people out there that kind of get that energy and the vibe from it and that sort of thing did you guys get that or is it i like sydney it's got a bit of everything though like you can go eastern suburbs and you get like all Coogee, bondi and yep. all that and then you have the city but it's just it's jam-packed like driving anywhere it's going to cost you a mint to mm. even just drive i think it's like from where i was maybe half an hour from the airport it'd cost you like 25 bucks round trip really yeah just from like going across the bridge going through the tunnels like it's very daunting driving i've only i've only gone down once um for the grand final a few years ago and like um dad and my brother and stuff drove down and then I think we we're getting in like three in the morning or something because we'd driven overnight. Mm. And then coming up to the bridge, I was like, those signs everywhere, yeah. cameras, cameras everywhere, sorry. And then you're like, you don't have a toll tag or anything. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going straight and I'm going to hope for the best sort of thing. But Although yeah. I did like Sydney, like just compared to Gold Coast, there's just so much to do. Yeah. Whereas up here, I get a bit bored sometimes just with... Like, there's only, I don't surf, so <laughs> it's kind of like, there's only so much I can lie on the beach for. I should probably really <laughs> We'll get you up. on a board. Wait, I have to, I, I think I've done it once, and that was with Zach's board. Yeah. When Zach did it once. To be honest, like, so I got the longboard downstairs, but I find sometimes, I don't know if you reckon as well, if you go too big, it can come sometimes be a little bit tricky. Mm. It's the, hard to negotiate in any big surf. Yeah. So if you've got a big heavy board, it can be a bit yeah. more daunting. So and, and, that mid-length is pretty good to start yeah. with. Yeah. In regards to as well, like having a fiberglass mouth versus like a, just a big foamy to muck around on. But yeah. to be honest, I think that little either the pink one out there or like the little even the little beater like mm, the nugget that'd like, be fun yeah because it's at worst case you could always ride something out like a boog as well and just like because it that's probably one of my favorite boards just for the fact that you're not scared of breaking it at all and you're not yeah. scared of it hitting you and it's just yeah we'll get yeah we'll get, get me out there yeah Riga was just saying <laughs> there's a bit of swell on the way so. yeah, <laughs> a bit of, yeah maybe mm, not yeah. <laughs> get you out of Kira at six I won't foot be, <laughs> I won't be coming back just Corey behind the ski just. I remember once I was at um, D-Bar once and I don't know what I was doing I just went out for like a swim and it was it probably wasn't massive but I'm not a very good swimmer and I was like I thought I was going to drown there I was like out the back with like the surface I'm like I'm way too far out here. I couldn't get back in either because I couldn't catch a wave. Yeah. <laughs> like to just body surf in. And I was like stuck out there. I'm like, and I was like, I think I was, I don't know who I was with. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I didn't want to be too embarrassed. I'm yeah. like, I'm no good here. I'm going to drown. <laughs> it's funny how like you can be in a position where your life's kind of somewhat in danger, but you're still like, I don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, don't kind of halfway. But it made me think actually before. So, um, Corey and I and a few mates during um, February this year, we did like a challenge and it was pretty much simply like most kilometers or who could put up most kilometers and it was running, swimming, a few other things. But Corey and I just aren't 
like we we can both swim and we can both swim all right but like definitely not compared to some of the other boys and like we're jumping and like we tried it even when i think amy and i were in new zealand and we jumped in one of those like little onsen pools yeah and she was just like legs are floating there and stuff i just don't float hey i just i'm not built <laughs> to like, help. yeah like i'm negative buoyant or whatever it is and like yeah, yeah. so it, when i'm in the pool i gotta stay moving otherwise i just start like bottom heavy <laughs> Yeah, but enough about us anyway. We usually start off our episodes with a bit of a um, uh, welfare check, so just seeing how each other's going. And obviously yourself had a mm. big few weeks lately. And so how's the body holding up? How's the mind? Yeah, both are fantastic, like surprisingly good. Um, so yeah, ran a 100 mile last weekend, and so it's been pretty much exactly a week now. So couple of days after feeling pretty average um but recovery was quite quick so i feel amazing now and um and the mind i just had my brother's 30th on the weekend yeah and so we had all the family come um we booked out like um a uh, little mermaid place oh, yeah, down, yeah, down yeah. the road yeah yeah um and so yeah whenever family's around we're a very close family so it was great to see everyone and yeah um so yeah everything's great at the moment it's been a good couple of weeks yeah epic if, yeah. after something like that it's so good just to or just anything pulling up well after mm. that's what you really want but we will get into it in a minute so how did it obviously kick off because a lot of people don't really start initially with running as like their main sport was there something when you're growing up that sort of triggered it or did you just absolutely not i started running like a year and a half ago maybe yeah. two years ago um i had I had no idea why people ran more than like three or five K or had any <laughs> dream or ambition to do further than that. Like uh, all my background is in sort of strength and conditioning. So going to the gym, doing strength, power work. Um, my sports were like tennis, surfing, cricket, like running was just not even on the cards until a couple of years ago. And mm. um, yes, I mean, signed up for my first half marathon um, probably yeah, a couple of years ago and didn't think I'd ever do a half marathon. So I was stoked at <laughs> that. And then, I think it was when, pretty much when COVID hit, it was the first time I actually thought about like, I just had so much time. So I was working over in Finland when COVID hit. And so unexpectedly I had to come home and had all this time. I was like, well, what sort of, what can I do with the time that's going to be productive? And I literally just Googled like really hard events that you can sign up for. (laughs) And the combination of that, and I read Goggins' book and obviously everybody knows that. And he mentioned, um, the Ironman race and obviously a lot of ultras and had no idea what an Ironman was. So gave that a Google and saw that there was a sunny coast half Ironman. So I was like, Oh, never done a try before, but it'd be cool to do one. And, um, didn't even own a road bike or anything. (laughs) So I was like, it'd be a, you'd learn a lot, like having no experience. And so, um, a couple of mates and I signed up for that and just started training for that. And I suppose that's probably when I started probably training for running, which was a couple of years ago. Um, so before that it was literally just, if I was to go for a run, it'd be 5K, like no no longer. Because mm, mm. um, the half Ironman is a half marathon with the run leg. Yeah. Um, so I had to actually train a bit for that. Yeah. Um, and then, and then yeah, it kind of just went from there because then I signed up for a full, which involves a marathon, and then the running just sort this of This is in up. Cairns? The full was in Cairns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that was, hectic, like a full. So what's that? Yeah. That's 180 cycle, for roughly 4K swim? Yep. And then the full 42 the marathon yeah yeah, yeah. was if, the marathon the toughest part or easily yeah well yeah. it all just the fatigue just compounds so the swim was crazy anybody could push through the swim and then the ride is just a nice day out like they mm. closed down the whole captain cook highway so it was just yeah, beautiful right. nice. like riding in the middle of the highway up up towards port douglas just 
What do they do for the swim though? Because being up there, obviously, heaps of crocs and that sort of thing. So what do you? Yeah, this you got to swim, swim fast. Yeah, <laughs> swim faster than the boat. Uh, boat. <laughs> well, the swim entry where the boys were, there's a massive sign that says "Do not swim near those sharks and irukandji" or something. Yeah, we were like, yeah. "Why are we doing this?" Yeah, did you have to wear like a full stinger suit as well? Or you didn't it... have to, but there wasn't a single person that wasn't. Like, yeah. I think you'd be pretty silly not to. Yeah, um, yeah. But my thought process was like, you just. The numbers are in your favour. Like, there's another thousand people swimming around me. So, what are the odds of the crocodile getting up to me? Mate, yeah, that's crazy. It's actually funny because was that like, what was that June last year? Yeah, it's it's. I think we're up there for my brother's bucks. So no that's why. Yeah, when I was doing so leading up to most episodes, when we sort of do a bit of a dive, bit of a bit of yeah. a recon on the person. I was like, obviously noticed that you're doing the Ironman, and we were at um, we sat at Gilligan's. Oh. And yeah, yeah, we spent some time no there, and then, yeah, it was just funny to see those like sort of correlations between it. But yeah, we're probably those drunk idiots walking That's past so going. Woo! <laughs> That's what helped. That's what was amazing about the event. There were just so many people there, whether they were drunk or not, just all supporting. Like yeah. the whole of Cairns just like shuts down for this event, and it was just the best atmosphere I've ever been a part of. It was really? just yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an unreal event. Like it's definitely something that. I'd reckon I'd want to have a crack at down mm. in the future. Definitely a lot of uh, training needed, especially in the yeah. swim leg. But uh, just to get back to that 100 mile though. So 100 mile as well for anyone listening is 160? 161. 161, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Don't so, tell like that. Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> that last one sucked. Um, and, and you're raising money for Foundation Wow. So what's that about? Waves of Wellness. Yeah, they are an Australian-based mental health charity. Um, based down in Sydney, and they essentially do their therapy through surfing and te- teaching people how to surf. So mm-hmm. they mostly target sort of at at risk sort of categories and and uh, at risk youth and men's health, women's health, um, and they literally just take them down to the beach. They have like a little half an hour um, get together, a little chat, teach them how to surf for an hour, come back and then debrief and just they use like really good analogies with mental health and sort of the ocean and surfing where like one for example is like um if you're if you get stuck in a rip for example the the last thing that you want to do is like struggle and swim directly back into that rip and they made the analogy of like if you're finding it difficult like a some sort of mental issue or concern or something like seek help from the sides and find like a different route and they they just find really clever ways to sort of Mm. teach you about the ocean um, teach you how to surf and then give you sort of the tools to to deal with mental health um, so yeah amazing organization they're pretty small still at the moment i think they have i think they have about nine locations across australia now um, so still growing um, but yeah i just i stumbled across um, the founder at a conference and he just did a presentation on what they do and it was one of those moments where you're just like i need to help that or be a part yeah. of that somehow and so um, all these challenges, you know, they are mostly for me exploring my own potential, but it's also a good way to raise money for like organizations like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned that just like seeing something and then like wanting to be a part of it or whatever it was. And part of the driving factor for guests of this podcast for myself is like, whether it's yourself doing the hundred mile, obviously had sort of touched base before that um, through mutual friends and stuff as well, or like Jordan mm. um, when he was doing his marathons and just seeing someone and be like, I want to talk to that person. I want to yeah. see why they're doing what they're doing and then what I can do to 
uh, like benefit from it or like what I can take from it as well, which has been epic. Like it's been such a fun journey mm. so far. We're so early on, but yeah, that that's such a cool way to, I guess, get to a group of people that are already enjoying that or interested in it. And mm. then to u- utilize those analogies as well is pretty epic. But what yeah. was your training like building up to the hundred mile? Cause it's, it's a bit of like an interesting one because a lot of the time it's just get max Ks into your legs yeah. really, but like hundred miles, it's yeah a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the challenging thing for me is probably my training age is so young. Like you see people like Jordan and stuff who have been running for years, whereas I literally ran my first marathon like a year and a half ago. So yeah. you'd argue like the progression or has been pretty quick, um, but I just kept it simple, um, what I call like nailing the basics and just being consistent because consistency compounds. And I think that's sort of, that's been my strength in my training where I feel like a lot of people, even if they have five or 10 years of running experience, they may run really well for one to two weeks and then have one to two weeks of busy work so they don't run and then they have another good two weeks and then they get sick for two weeks and there's just no consistency. Whereas what I really prided myself on was that i had a year and a half of like very consistent quality training and sort Mm. of just rocking up every single day Mm. um and so i guess that sort of allowed me to progress so quickly from just yeah first marathon not long ago to 100 miler so Mm. um but my strategy was just yeah really simple like 80 20 principle which is 80 percent just really slow low intensity and then 20 percent hard high intensity were you doing that off like heart rate um the high intensity yeah the low intensity is you get a pretty good understanding of that internal sort of rpe um just when you run a lot so i would just make sure it was like a very easy very easy pace which can get boring after a while because like (laughs) most runs are like a two to three to four hour run and it's like when you're running at such a slow pace um that can be quite mentally challenging even though it's not as much like physically challenging Mm. Um, but that's the reason I do it. What what you get max leading up to it in a single stint? So I did uh, my first ultra was a uh, hundred k's last year. I did yep. that. Um, so that was my longest run, and then I'd done fifty k's like maybe three or four times. Mm-hmm. Um, but a hundred k's was the longest like ultra that I did. Yeah. Mm. But like that marathon distance though, I felt really comfortable at. Um, and I was actually joking with my brother. We're trying to figure out how many marathons that I've done in the last like year and a half. And um, I think we ended up, so I did in that first year, I think I went from zero to 13 in that one year. <laughs> and then I think I've done about 28 or 29 marathons wow. in a year and a half just yeah. in training. And so mm. not a single one in an actual event, just yeah. like, like I did a few of Jordan in his. And um, so I was, yeah, it's crazy to think back that that's what training looked like, but mm. we made it work. So, yeah. <laughs> How's your mindset changed? Because I know like for myself, I was fortunate enough to take part in the Gold Coast one this year. And just to, I guess for myself is like realizing what you're capable of or what like you, what barriers you'd set on yourself prior to that. Because I always thought like I'd had a knee, re- uh, had a knee surgery when I was younger and just things like that always played on my mind. And then I ended up just being like kind of, I even had someone say to me like, oh, maybe you're just not the right body shape for and all that sort of stuff as well. And then once I did it, I'm like, right, yeah, like let's see what we can sort of do. And like seeing the stuff that we've got in the works, it gets me really excited. But like for yourself, obviously clicking off a 
pretty much four in a row mm. in one in one go like what's mm. that get you to mentally that's a great question i guess it's like it just sets me up for tomorrow like it wasn't really about race day it was where i wanted to reach was to have the confidence that i can literally do anything that i want to do mm. um and i guess like i first felt that at the iron man it's really corny but their motto is anything is possible and you hear that and you're like oh right you hear that in year three from your teacher but you don't really spend time to sit down and think about that um and i guess completing that iron man was the first time where i thought about it and was like okay like i'm a very goal orientated person but are my goals actually scaled up enough or are they just sitting at somewhere comfortable that i can still reach and have that certainty around like not failing and not having to be vulnerable and um and so i guess all these challenges are just trying to reinforce that as like let's just keep scaling it up into the unknown and seeing if you can still reach it um mm. and i've just been lucky enough that all the challenges i've found a way to achieve the goal and so the mindset that i'm in now is literally like okay every other av- avenue of life how can i scale it up to bigger and better than i've ever thought possible from you know um professional to academic to relationships to everything Mm. um and that's what these runs has really given me is that confidence that i could literally do anything i wanted so Mm, that's epic yeah Yeah, without sounding like cocky it's just the confidence that comes from Mm. achieving that it's that feeling of like damn you genuinely thought that was impossible yeah um what else are you thinking is impossible that you could go and do is it nice knowing as well like you mentioned earlier with goggins book and how he's got the cookie jar something Mm. to reach into is that like that's a massive cookie to take out now (laughs) i literally have my own cookie jar at home it's just written on paper yeah um but i made that like i wrote the title cookie jar like the day after i read his book and i've yeah. been adding to that since and it's got it's not just physical things like i seek discomfort and challenges in every part of my life and so there's there's cookies in there that are like having difficult conversations and doing just all sorts of different things mm. um and so that is really important to me and like i have that up on my whiteboard at home and i see that every day and um it is a good reminder um so no i love love that little analogy yeah Mm, it's mm. good such a good book that i loved it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um we will also jump into the academic side of it and stuff because i'm really keen to talk about that as well so um leading up to it with the preparation you said the four by four by 48 was something that um you'd mentioned was kind of part of just the training for it and the sleep Mm. and so what were the factors because you're talking about the the base things that you wanted to get right for the 100 miler are you looking at nutrition during the run? Are you looking at sleep leading up to it? What What's the sort of process? Yeah, nutrition is a massive, massive part of it. Because um, you, you burnt 14,000? 14,000 14, calories. <laughs> I mean, that's just garment. I'm assuming it's somewhat accurate, but yeah, yeah. that's a lot of energy. Yeah, mm. I definitely didn't eat that. I think I lost three or four kilos wow. um, yeah. during it. I weighed myself like two days after. Um, and I was, yeah, four kilos so, and that yeah. was when I'd eaten a lot after that as well. So <laughs> it would have been interesting, like straight before and after. Yeah, yeah. No, nutrition's a massive part, but the sleep for me, I think we share a, a love for sleep <laughs> or an appreciation for yeah, sleep. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, you know, that's also the reason I've been able to do everything that I've been doing is because that has been my number one priority over anything else. Mm. Um, because in previous years, that's been the worst thing that I've done is I've 
never prioritize sleep and that's been reflected in my uni work yeah i was gonna say as a true Every, academic <laughs> yeah true yeah sleeping under my desk in yeah. my during my master's days yeah. like it was shocking um yeah. and so that's been the biggest change in my life has been like my bedtime and wake up time is just so consistent now mm. um and so that was sort of what worried me was like okay i'm gonna start this thing at midnight where that is just so not natural for me to start mm, with. Mm. And I'll be running all through the morning, all through the day, and then all through the night again. So that's when I heard about the Goggins Challenge and was like, oh, that'd be a good way to sort of test how the mental fatigue side of things really affects me. And um, so, yeah, as we discussed, like I found in the moment I was fine because I love a challenge. It's like getting up when you don't want to. You're like, yeah, right, it sucks, but... You know, it's for the good, but um, two days after, it just hit me like a train. <laughs> don't say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've got yeah. plans for after it. It was, yeah. yeah, I don't, yeah. No, it was, it was bad. Would you, you have went to a festival? <laughs> yeah. Well, the day, like straight after, you'll be fine. You'll yeah, be fine yeah. straight after, but you'll crash harder. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Just yeah. Get, get, in, get in before you crash. Did, yeah. you, um, did you do it by yourself or with other people? I did it by myself. Um, I had some people join. It was mm. actually at the end of um, George's 33 marathons. Yep. So the timing was good. I actually joined him for two of the like the 4 a.m. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just had a whole lot of mates rock up and just do little bits here and there. Yeah. Um, but I was the only one that did like all of them together. Yeah. Because I think that's what we found was good because we obviously had three. When we obviously we had people show up to each one as well. Mm. But I think what the easiest thing was, like we spoke about before, was, you know, you'd kind of, it'd be like the four or the midnight one and we'd be just bugging and then yeah. you just look at somebody and they just, what were we doing? We're doing the uppercuts for a little bit. I think, and, yeah, because <laughs> we, we were fortunate enough, we all stayed here and sort of bunk, bunked in because we, we also did it out of the fact, yes, to sort of push ourselves physically and mentally and that, but also just like lock in with our mates and just do something fun. And as you're getting fatigued, things just get funny even when they're not. And yeah. like... So you'd walk out of the room and you, no one's wanting to do it. You got to run in about 12, 12 or thirteen minutes, and you just like just walk out and like flex to each other or something. <laughs> so good. Yeah, but so your hundred mile, obviously had a fair bit of support throughout. I actually had mm. some people say to me, "They're like, mate, like Ricky was the one supporting us, and that was like seventy k's in." <laughs> so good. Oh, I just appreciate everyone rocking up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I had my brother and my mum were like my main support crew. Um. Mm. My brother. I don't know why, but he just loves joining me on runs. Like he jumps on the bike and because a lot of my runs are at like genuinely three in the morning. I love mornings. Um, and so he would just join me on the bike in the dark, just in training runs. Because so, bro- brothers like watching other brothers in pain. I think so. <laughs> I genuinely think so. Yeah. Um, so he kind of knows me very well and he knows what I'm like running. He knows what I'm like when I'm in pain and he knows what I need sort of nutrition wise. Mm. So he was with me pretty much the whole way on the bike with all my nutrition stuff. Yeah. And then between him and my mum, they just sort of drove the car to the different like little checkpoints so I'd pre-planned mm. so that I had the boot full of fruit and stuff there. Mm. Um, so they were all like my logistic sort of crew. And then oh, so many people came down not during the day to join for some Ks. I was just blown away because a lot of people were away on holidays or at the Melbourne Marathon. It was the same weekend. Mm. Um, but then just still so many people came. It was absolutely incredible. And um, bloody Lucas, the legend, got all the oh, a lot of the Hedges crew down. And yeah. so that was just seeing them. There was like I think like 14 or something rocked up and wow. they were like at once. And it was yeah. just like, <laughs> you just forget about everything else. And you just have this wave of like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of that was, was amazing. But 
I don't remember a single thing like towards the end. So I'm sorry for whoever joined me at the end because I was just a shell of myself. What, were you eating anything heavier than fruit throughout? Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of sandwiches just with like white bread just to absorb it really quickly. So like a lot of banana sandwiches, um, peanut butter and jam sandwiches, and um, and then yeah, just a lot of fruit, a lot of lollies. I think that did me a bit of a disservice um at the start i had a bit yeah a few too many lollies and sort of like processed foods got some pretty bad gut pain like right in the middle sort of stint mm. um and then when i ate more like real whole foods it sort of went away so mm. if i was to do it again i think i'd refrain from having like as much like lollies and just shit food yeah and then stick mm. to like whole foods did you have any gels or like like um tailwind or fix or anything like that as well because Something was amazing when I was talking to Jordan about it is like water, like just plain water can strip you of so many of those mm. good um, salts and that sort of thing. I was like, that's the first thing that I would have thought is like to get some water into yourself when you're running. So like... Well, hydration is a balance of, of water and electrolytes. Mm. So if you just drink water and lots of water without electrolytes, you dehydrate yourself. So that's like a really dangerous thing to do when you're running because yeah. when you sweat, you lose both water and electrolytes. And mm. so if you only replace one, that's a really dangerous sort of thing to do. So having the electrolytes is really important. And and I used um, Trail Brew. Oh, yeah. Um, I had them before and, and they were, that's just sit with my stomach really well. Mm. So you don't want to do anything different on, on game day. So yeah. I sort of just <laughs> stuck to that and because that has both sort of carbs and electrolytes, really yeah. similar, like you just basic Powerade sort of thing. Um, so that was really good. Um, and that was sort of my main, like in my hydration, in my hydration vest, that was my main source I'd had just all day. Mm. Um, cause it has like this non flavored, like non flavor fatigue thing. I think I'm mm. saying that right. It's where like, if you have the same like Powerade for like hours on end, you get like a fatigue of that flavor. Yeah. And so this thing doesn't really have a taste. It's like this dull, I don't know how to explain it, but it's really cool. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just enough to not like be boring but also like sort of mm. yeah because i know yeah we had we had like some green staminate or something <laughs> dude our, our diet during so when we did like the half um challenge last year was just rubbish it was <laughs> so, so bad <laughs> <laughs> just garbage guts the whole well, I, time think, I think so for dinner we had like a lamb roast <laughs> and then the next morning one of the boys at like after the 4am or 8am whatever it was drove past and they're like yeah like hand out the window and they dropped us like a bag of maccas no. and it was just it was just like um the little brekkie what are they called the, uh, bacon and egg yeah mcmuffins yeah and we we <laughs> brought them all out the stairs and we're like no nah, no nah, we shouldn't and then we're all sitting around on the couch like massaging our legs and stuff like looking at each other <laughs> like oh we'll give one a go <laughs> the next run sucked <laughs> Yeah. It just takes so long to break down. Like that's yeah. the hardest part of it. You just want foods that just get in you like really quickly and absorb yeah. really fast. That's... I think what was your suggestion because we were listening to Matt Fraser? <laughs> the, the Mars bars. The, yeah, Snickers, uh, Snickers or whatever. Snickers, Snickers. Yeah. Some someone I think Corey's like, Oh, Matt Fraser during his comps <laughs> eats a Snickers bar every ten minutes or must something. Work. Yeah, must work. So we're smashing like it was literally like Gatorade, Snickers bars and like I can't even remember what we were eating, but it was like donuts. Yeah, something? donuts, something like that. But yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it was bad. Um, but yeah, it, it's crazy. Like so many little factors play into such an mm. event like that as well. Um, obviously, the sleep and the nutrition and stuff's really interesting to myself. But that's kind of like 
I guess it's a challenge in itself as well. Like leading up to it, were you trying to eat different things or like trying, were you doing like trial and error with it or? Mm, that's a big part of training is becoming familiar with the foods you will eat. Mm. Um, so yeah, it is very difficult though when you're just going on like a 10 or 15K run to eat during because you know you don't need it during that run, but you mm. need to, it's called like training your gut. You need to get it familiar with, okay, I'm exercising but you need to learn how to still break down food and, and do all the things that it needs to do. So um, I, I probably didn't do it as much as I should have because I've read a lot about like you need to train your gut for quite a while leading in. Mm. Um, but I've, I think I did enough to, to get through. But yeah, there was some gut trouble though. Like when was that? Like just before before and after lunch, like the first, first 90Ks was just oh, like a dream. It was just cruisy and everything was going well. Um, and just before lunch, I think all that sugar and crap just kicked in. Mm. I was like, um, I don't even know how to explain gut pain. It was just like this dull, like aching sort of pain. And so mm. um, made it to lunch at 100K and then ate some more whole real foods. But then I think I had a bit, I think I had a bit too much because then that mm. next 20K from like 100 to 120, I just felt sick the whole way. Like every step, I was just trying not to vomit and shit myself yeah <laughs> so i was gonna yeah. say like running up and down the coast as well for at least you've got toilets yeah. oh, along the way it's and the stuff. perfect place to do it <laughs> there's taps everywhere torts everywhere yeah. yeah it was perfect but so you mentioned earlier you got to 120 and things started to really hurt yeah. <laughs> which is amazing because you're like I, I remember seeing a post because i was coming i think i was just hopping onto the plane in nz um when you were hitting that point yeah and i was like he's still got a marathon to go like it's crazy. So, yeah, talk us through, like, where's your head at with that? Just knowing that, like, you've said you've done 28 this year or so and that's mm. going to be where well, you're at 27 at that point and you're like... Yeah, things changed very quickly at that 120. And on reflection, and this is good we can chat about this because I actually haven't had time to sit down and reflect just yet because yep. it was so recent. Um, but on reflection, I think it was the stop at 120. So it started to absolutely pierce down and it was really windy like horizontal rain just freezing um and so we had a planned stop at 120 just for like two or three minutes but the rain was so heavy my brother looked at the radar and he said it's just going to be passing in like i don't know 10 or 15 minutes let's just wait a little longer and um so yeah we all agreed yep good idea don't want to get soaked for the next marathon and and so i was just curled up in like a little ball just sitting there on this bench just freezing my tits off um and then went to stand up after probably like 20 or so minutes um i was a zombie could have been an hour i have no idea <laughs> but i think it was about 20 minutes and then just this sharp pain in my right knee like just unbearable to even tap my foot on the ground and then just had this moment of like holy shit marathon to go can't even like weight bear on my right leg um i slowly just like walked around in some circles and and i, I realized that as I started to warm up, the pain sort of it didn't go away, but it got more sort of manageable and, mm. and tolerable. Um, so a little walk turned into like a slow trot, which turned into a jog. And then I got back into like my sort of pace and um, and it was much more manageable at that sort of pace um, around like sort of six minutes or so. Um, and then, yeah, so I made it through probably 10 more Ks where I had to stop again stopped for like a second and I think I just peed or something and then it just came straight back like I was stopped for no longer than 60 seconds and mm. and the pain was like I think that was the one time in the whole thing I actually cried like in pain it was just that bad and had like 30 something k's left and um 
and so yeah it took probably another like probably 800 meters of of jogging and slow running to get back to that manageable pain again and and i just looked at charlie my brother and i was like i can't stop again like i need to run 35k (laughs) without stopping because i don't know if i'll start again and Mm. um that was like the most pain i think i've ever been in and like the darkest like I don't know how to explain it. Like I, I knew I wasn't quitting. So like that wasn't even in my mind. It was just my mind being like, what's the least painful way to get to 161 Ks? And mm-hmm. it's just don't stop. Cause mm-hmm. I just knew that pain would come back. And so um, that was really interesting. Cause yeah, the mind was kind of like, well, continuing to running is less painful. So just don't stop. And mm-hmm. I think I stopped maybe once or twice more and the pain came back. But um, that was the little challenge that I knew I wanted and I pushed through it and looking back at it, like you're so glad that happened. Cause that's like what I'm most proud of is being able to push through that and still find a way to make it work. Cause mm. yeah, that's it yeah. Was tough. That's so epic. That's it wasn't, so cool. a, wasn't a pre-existing injury. No, right? Never Just, had pain there before. No, yeah. it's kind of like felt like a bit of ITB sort of syndrome, but it was such a sharp, like stabbing pain. Like usually, ITB sort of radiating up up the side of your leg, but this was just like lateral knee, just literally like a knife was just stuck in there. And um, so I, I was concerned for a while, but like starting a marathon in that in that sort mm-hmm. of state, you're just thinking, shit, is this just going to turn into a really bad injury? Um, but yeah, just very lucky that it hasn't. Because where's your head at? Head at? Because like. Obviously, Ned Brockman getting across the country mm. just wild at the moment, like running from Perth to Bondi. And something that we've discussed a lot lately is like, and and this is nothing to take away from what he's doing, but like doing something like that and knowing you're injured and still deciding to run on it. Where does your head at with that? Because like the first thing, I think for me, because I've gone through the costly process of having a knee surgery and all that sort of stuff and just the rehab that's involved and the support that someone like himself has at this point in time to get across the country, but then to be doing the same level of rehab once he gets home is like, and not, mm. I, I'm assuming not the Australia's not going to be behind it, being like, yeah, go to rehab or mm. like, go do your yeah. ISO work and stuff be like tougher than the journey is on now. Yeah, <laughs> and like, where, where's your head at? So when you've got 30, 35 k's left and your knees just cooked, like, mm. is that just constantly playing through your head of like, I'm doing permanent damage here? That's a great question. I, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was just trying to. Con- my mission was just control the controllables. Like that was whenever I had an issue, I just thought back to that, and all I was thinking of was like, I, I can run and it's manageable, and so just just run. Um, yeah, I think when you're that deep into an ultra like that your thought process becomes very, very simple. Like you, there's not a lot of <laughs> yeah. critical thinking going on. Yeah. And so I had some chats with my brother and my mum beforehand, like this is what I want. Like if I'm in this sort of state of mind, like feel free to tell me to stop or whatever. But um, I guess, yeah, I haven't actually really thought about like, that. Like is, is there anything that would have stopped you is probably my question. Because like we've had um, Kent on a fellow mm. before and he's run some big distances and, he sort of said, like, when you know, you know, if you can't run. But it seems like to me the way you're describing it is like once you're locked in there, like you're getting to 161 mm. regardless. It was just... Well, that's actually... It's surprising that I thought like that because the one thing I told my brother beforehand was like, I'll be happy if I know I've given it everything that I had. Mm. So I told him, I don't even care if I finish the 161. 
I just want to be happy with stopping my Garmin, knowing that that is every single thing that I had in the tank. Mm. And so I guess even though I was in pain, I knew that wasn't everything. Mm. Um, so that's probably just the extent of thought process that went through my mind. Like because I've surrounded myself with people and books and podcasts where you hear of people doing such big things and going through such adversity, maybe my mind was like, if I can still run, then things are fine. Like just keep going. And um, so, yeah, that's sort of, that's all I was really thinking about was just, is this everything that I have? Um, and if I stopped at 120 upon reflection, like I can probably say that wasn't everything I had because I've actually got it done. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Like it's such a cool story to hear and then obviously now that you've set the bar to that like just for Mm. how you're saying you've reached out to listening to podcasts or reading books or just all these people for inspiration and then it's cool to see yourself like becoming that for someone like myself Mm. and yeah it's it's like this full circle thing it's really really nice and interesting oh it's great to hear it yeah Yeah. love it um we'll, we'll we'll pull away from the sport a little bit now so you did mention the academic side of it um, and I'd like to um, jump into the surf science nutrition stuff as well. So how did that kick off? Was it was it the study um, ended up being surf science or was it the other way around? Or Yeah, so both of those pretty much have nothing to do with each other apart from them both being focused on surfing, completely different things. Yeah. Um, so I started the business as something completely different during COVID, once again, just with my spare time. Um, I started just creating, because all my background is in strength and conditioning. So I made all these training programs for surfers and spent hundreds of hours like filming exercises and putting them online into programs. And um, I actually didn't even end up advertising any of it or selling any of it. <laughs> it's just one of those things where I don't know what I was thinking. Like I put so much time into it and then I just sort of left it. Um, I think I realized the market for that is really saturated, um, yep. especially moving to the Goldie. Every surfer is just a guru in health and fitness now (laughs) Mm. regardless of sort of their background or experience and so um i naturally just sort of asked the question like well what is there a market for like what issues are surfers having and how can my sort of exercise science background assist in that um and nutrition just straight away came to mind like there is nothing to help surfers nutrition wise there's no products there's no good quality information there's no education um and so that's when i started just asking surfers in Cooley, like what problems are you guys having nutrition wise like what can i help with and um the two biggest problems were that um, and i'd love to get your thoughts here as well is um people either don't eat anything before they go out mm. um especially for early morning surfs or they eat something and then just feel like absolute shit they feel mm. bloated and lethargic um and then the second biggest thing is you know, surfers expend so much energy during the day. They find it really hard to just simply eat enough food to recover properly and yeah, especially and if you're in like multiple sessions in a day. Like if it, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, it's called low energy availability, um, and that's like the worst thing to have is when you're not consuming enough calories just for what you're expending during the day. And a lot of surfers are sort of hovering in that category. Um, and so, yeah, I just created the first ever like pre and post surfing nutritional products to sort of address those two things. So mm-hmm. ca- I came up with um, pre-surf fuel, which is like a little um, little drink you have beforehand. It's just a little powder that dissolves in water and you just, you know, take a shot like that much of it and mm-hmm. um, absorbs really quickly. And then the post-surf recovery is like a blend of protein, carbs, electrolytes, 
just a recovery blend to assist in like upping the calories in the day and then giving someone an option where, you know, if you're surfing and driving straight to work, you can just have it sitting in your car, smash it down and mm. you don't have to wait till lunch to have some decent protein and carbs in you. Mm. So that's sick. Um, just some practical sort of options for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I can't remember if it was earlier or another one, but we, we touched on like, I've always felt to exercise on an empty stomach for me was just far better. Like even if I eat three hours before doing any exercise, I still start to feel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so something like that is awesome. And then obviously to have those extra calories coming in after it, because most like you don't really see many surfers that aren't skinny sort of no, thing as no. well. So, yeah. and it's just not really in the nature to like be finishing up a surf and then looking after yourself in that way. So how, how yeah. have you sort of, broken into the market i guess to to get people that don't naturally or are happier to Mm. just go like yeah that's well most of my sort of marketing and advertising i've been going out to the markets yeah just because i've understand that like in a early business or in the early days you want to get as much sort of customer feedback as possible and that sort of environment at the markets where every person or customer is talking directly to you you can get a lot more out of them than just an e-commerce they buy you ship and don't really get anything so Mm. i've been asking a lot more questions than you know delivering answers and so um pretty much any time i ask what issue are you having it's one of those two issues and then this product has somewhat solved that problem yeah um and so yeah combination of just like markets on the gold coast here to start locally and then just pumping out as much educational content as possible um so i haven't paid for like any advertising or anything my sort of mindset at the moment is like if i can deliver really good high quality educational content on social media people will organically share that and then they'll um sort of get exposure through that and Mm. and that's been working really well so far yeah Um, what you do is really good like to to watch it looks professionally done but also to it's like for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's kind of like a lecture that's crammed into like a minute, but it, and <laughs> yeah. it's enjoyable. You're not just sitting there nodding off sort of thing. Oh, like it was nice. good, yeah. And it was, it was really, um, yeah, it was good. Some of the stuff that I've seen so far, but yeah, it to have that personal interaction with those people and be hearing. Mm. Is it tough going down sometimes and like absolutely yeah oh absolutely <laughs> you're, like, you're that guy in the middle of the store being like hey yeah come I'm, buy a ticket <laughs> I'm usually the one not making eye contact with the store guys just to avoid that conversation whereas now you're the opposite it's it is like literally the definition of like uncomfortable situation for me and mm. but that's why I'm doing it like that's no different to the run it's like I just feel like the more you can embrace discomfort in life the further you'll go and the better off you'll be. And so I'm in the mindset now where it's like, if I'm offered any opportunity where I go, oh, shit, I'm going to be a little nervous doing that, I just yeah. fucking, yep, do it. Yeah. Like, including like stuff like this, like a podcast. You're like, mm. oh, no, do it. And so, yeah, markets is 100%. It's <laughs> everything that I had, like small talk, talking to people you don't know, getting feedback, getting very blunt feedback. <laughs> and yeah, very intimidating, but... It's, yeah. yeah, it's good. I saw on your website um, they had some roles with like other sporting teams. Um, mm. I'm saying like the cricket, the rugby, as well. Yeah. Did you find any with like um, your pre and post workout um, powders? Mm-hmm. Did you find it that you got some similarities from those sports to move them into surfing? I think most other sports have some products that 
that fit into their categories pretty well. Like a lot of the, let's just say protein powders, for example, where mine differs from most is like most protein powders are either like a whey isolate where there's like no carbs. So it's for gym guys want to get shredded sort of thing. Mm. Or it's like a mass gainer where there's like a shitload of carbs um, and it's just to get big and bulky. And so mine's sort of sitting in the middle. So the research shows 70 grams of carbs is like ideal to stimulate the recovery process and assist like muscle growth and development. So mine, you know, it's it's not just exclusive to surfing. Like I take my pre-surf fuel before every single run in the morning and actually, yeah, pretty much before I do anything. Um, mm. So it has similarities, but it's I've tailored it to sort of market surfers to answer like their problems specifically um but yeah you could use it for pretty much anything mm. yeah what's your take on caffeine is that any inclusion in the in the pre or is it yeah yep. yeah it's got um 150 milligrams which is one standard coffee yep so, um but that's all the stimulants in there so you'll find and that's why i've been very particular around like the wording i don't want people to think it's like a pre-workout because mm. obviously it's yeah it's not that there's mm. It's not going to give you tingles or any of those sensations um, <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, the research once again shows that um, 150 mils is ideal for the performance benefits you get from it. Mm-hmm. And then it also helps surfers that, um, like for me, when I have a coffee, I'm in the toilet like five minutes after because <laughs> I'm just like yeah. Nescafe blend 43 <laughs> straight down the hatch. And so it's for surfers that also have that issue and want to have their coffee in the morning um, yeah. in the same sort of drink. Um, so. But yeah, it's not like a pre-workout where you get yeah mm. shitload. Oh, man, some I remember when we were coming up through the end of high school and stuff, and some of the ones getting around like remember the Jack Three D or Jacked whatever Three D. There's like some of the stuff. I'm pretty sure one of them. It might have even been that got pulled for just having like traces of mm. just a lot of bad stuff. But there's yeah. a lot more regulations in the supplement industry now. There's a lot more rules, and now that it's it's a huge industry, so I think the the general quality and standard is a lot higher. So, mm. yeah. Is it tricky? Like, do you have to jump through a lot of hoops when you're first getting that? And what's it like when you get your first order rocking up to your house or wherever it was? Right. Was it pretty cool? To- I still have a video of me. I picked it up from the manufacturers yeah. and I just made like a, a 60 second video in the car <laughs> just with the whole car full of my products. <laughs> I was wearing my own like surf science shirt and had my shaker in my hand. I was like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> what yeah how did this come about and yeah I've, i'm gonna cherish that video for a long time because that feeling was like nothing other like i from absolutely nothing built every single thing to do with the business myself from mm. the website from the um the labels like i downloaded adobe illustrator like one week free trial and like did all <laughs> my labels in that week and like yeah. just hundreds of hours of work and then you just see in the back of the car like this product and you're like shit yeah. I, I made this it's like an idea that's just come to fruition yeah like it. Yeah, yeah that's sick yeah so yeah. that's very rewarding and that's why i'm definitely gravitating more towards business because i just know the more you build a business the more of those feelings you'll get and yeah. it's just very fulfilling i think is is the word that like i've had a lot of other jobs and work and nothing has filled as fulfilling as like doing what i'm doing now so it's Mm. yeah was it tricky like perfecting like the powder did you always did you get some back and then you're like no this just isn't it (laughs) yeah i need to change something absolutely so you go through like a a research and development phase so my manufacturer had i think my contract was like three months where you could have as many variations as you can and 
um, test different flavors and stuff. So we were just getting flavors every day. And uh, I just went boring just for the market. I was like, what are the most popular? So I've got chocolate, vanilla, um, and then like a tropical. But um, that was all part of the fun. It was like, mm. yeah, some of them were shocking flavors. Because <laughs> then when you change as well, like I was just so naive. Like I walked into these manufacturing facilities with my research hat on going, oh, I want this many, this many carbs, this much protein, this much salt. And they were like, you know, that's just going to taste like shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. But the research says you need this. So there's a lot more to it than just like having a list of this is what the research says. It's like these things mix better with these things. Like what source of protein are you going to have? Where are you going to get your carbs from? And so you have those discussions with your manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so collectively you sort of build this product uh, into what you want it to be. And, and yeah, I'm very happy with what we've got so far, but got a few more things in the pipeline so um trying to make more like real food based products because i i don't want to be known as a supplement company because mm. my biggest thing is like promoting a whole food and real food first approach um whenever you have access to real food that should always be your highest priority yeah um and well, so it's the whole it's the whole meaning of supplementing like, yeah that's yeah, yeah, yeah yeah well you just don't want to rely on that and, mm. and so i'm trying to bring out some like bars and some other real food things because i think some people as well just prefer to eat like especially you know after a surf like mm. you're just so hungry and sometimes a drink just doesn't quite mm. get you there like well, doing doing something active i found as well like having something solid versus like if you had even like smoothies and stuff you sort of mm. can move around a bit in you know? yeah <laughs> like yeah yep. yeah I, i'm sort of yeah eating stuff around exercise is weird usually afterwards i'm pretty good but if I'm backing up and doing something else again, like if it is like I haven't in a very long time, but I know when we were younger, we'd do like three, two hour surfs or whatever in a day. Mm. Yeah. And like, it's a lot of exercise in a day. And then to be fueling yourself, like at the time, we're probably just getting Maccas yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah. it was. But yeah, to, to be able to look at that and then implement something that's actually going to let you recover. And mm. if it is important to you enough to be like surfing day in, day out. Yeah. Um, just to be like looking after yourself as well but Absolutely. yeah mate that's epic that's so yeah. cool i'm, I'm excited Thanks. to see how it turns out the Thanks, um the research you're obviously touching on now you are coming from a background where you've done a fair bit of it you're currently going through your phd is that correct yeah yes yeah, so i've been a student for quite a while now yeah. um it's been a long journey to get here and still got probably a couple of years left um so yeah my all my background is as an exercise scientist. Um, so I did a bachelor um, bachelor degree, did an honors degree, then did a master's degree, and now doing a PhD. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, all of that is within exercise science. And even though my background is mostly in strength and conditioning, when I was, um, so before COVID hit, I was working in Finland um, as an SNC coach with their kind of high performance snowboarding and alpine skiing team. and they just had a really cool like creative environment um and they the way they develop their athletes because freestyle sports are so creative in nature you can make your own tricks and the progressions there's no like step-by-step process Mm. they just had access to all these trampolines and all this fancy equipment and so i started to question like why haven't surfing sort of looked at this because it is becoming like an aerial sport and there's so many different dry land ways to train for it and so i had all these little ideas and got home from um from there when covid hit and just started talking to researchers like there's no literature around how surfers train on on dry land and like is there an opportunity for a phd in that and um turns out there obviously was and so basically i'm looking at 
all the different ways surfers can train that isn't in the water. Mm. So there's like a massive um, high performance center down in Casuarina where they have like a massive indoor skate park and trampolines and, and all these fancy things. But there's no real evidence to show that any of that works. Like there's a lot of anecdotal evidence where surfers feel better. They feel like it works. Um, but essentially, I want to just start diving into that to see, you know, there's the theory suggests it should work. Like there's some transfer, but we want to get some actual solid evidence. So um, that's sort of, yeah, how that came about. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty sick. I've watched a lot of the videos that have been put up through it. And like, I, I guess seeing the correlations between like skating and surfing and snowboarding, but then like, where do you go when it comes to like the weight trend? Like how, there's so much to break mm. down, obviously, as well, but. Um, I saw a large portion of it with videos that were slowed down and you're watching like the way they're um, coming into like a ramp if it's skating or if it's snowboarding like how they're transferring their weight across the board mm. is that sort of the stuff like the physics side of it or is it yeah I'm not necessarily diving into the physics it's more of the learning stages itself so okay. where on that learning spectrum is it best to use a surf skate or a skateboard or a trampoline and so um, there are times where like mass repetition is really important and obviously surfing you know the opportunities you can get to practice your sport are very limited due to the environment and the conditions and everything else so um we're just looking at like yeah when do you need the environment um to be in your favor to train or when can you just use a skateboard to help you and so um skating is a huge thing even commercially now like there are so many different types of surf skates out there and it's a pretty big business at the moment and everyone's doing different things like some people are using bowls some are just skating around cones and so my research is just going to be the very start like answering a small fraction of um, questions but hopefully it just leads to so much more research in the area that's sort of my goal as a I'm not pioneer in the area, but like one of the first to sort of dive into it. You yeah. can say. Oh. <laughs> but it's exciting because nothing's ever been done, and it's pretty rare in research to have an area where there's nothing done. And yeah, it's my two passions: is like exercise science and the human body, and and surfing. And no one's really mashed them together yet. So I'm keen to yeah. make it a bit more professional. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the process with the PhD? Because obviously you've done the prior research with your masters and honors and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Who do you approach? It, mm. Speak to me as if I'm looking to do my PhD. It's oh, <laughs> a long chat, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Man, well, I guess like it all, like to start with, to even have it as an option, you need to get really good grades in undergrads and mm-hmm. your bachelor degree. Um, I didn't. That's no, okay. I, <laughs> I didn't either. Um, that's why I did a master's. So that's another way to sort of get there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the master's was actually going to be in surfing, but in research a lot changes i ended up doing in um like muscle physiology so we did some biopsies and looked at like muscle fiber composition um but basically you need to get either really good grades or do some sort of masters in research um a lot of universities have topics that are already sort of thought of by like professors that just need a student to sort of fill that that gap so Mm. a lot of the time you actually see them advertise like a job um but what was important to me was that I wanted to come up with this idea. I knew that a PhD is a long slog. It's like three years of hard work and I wanted it to be like my sort of pursuit rather than just ticking a box for someone else. Yep. Um, so that was why I sort of approached these unis and Griffith have a partnership with Surfing Australia. So naturally I was like, well, 
want to do it in surfing you guys are probably the best bet mm. and so i just sent yeah a random email to um one of the contacts i saw on griffith and was like this is my background and this is what i want to do and he loved it so um yeah it's a pretty big application process um especially to, like get a scholarship and stuff it's very competitive mm. um but with the masters in my background that was enough and then you just get writing get reading mm. how does it kind of finish like it's like if it's if it's such like a niche kind of like phd like it's Mm. everyone can kind of go different ways how Mm. do they kind of get to the end and yeah so most phds uh you you write a massive thesis and it's like a massive thesis (laughs) and within that thesis there's there's different research articles so like if you just search surfing research, you'd see all these journal review articles. Well, we actually create that and publish that. Mm. And so as part of my PhD, I'll hopefully have about four published articles um, to complete a PhD. I think the minimum is usually around like two or three, but usually you need about four. Um, and so you finish when you've published your research, make it into a big document. You then present it to a panel of essentially experts in the field and they say whether you are now an expert in the field or whether you need to... So do you get like Griffith head honchos, but then you got like Mick Fanning <laughs> yeah. and Marco and stuff? I wish, mate. No, they have no say, which is crazy. No, it's all the big dog professors that, that determine that. So it is just yeah. a body of work at the end of the day. Like you just need to show evidence of that. And- Does it have structure? Because like I know I'm reaching back into like when you're writing up reports through science at school and all that sort of stuff where it's usually got like an intro a body and a conclusion or is it kind of like you talk about each of them separately or is it does it have like a flow to yeah it? there's a huge flow so you have sort of chapters and so each chapter is essentially a study and so within that study you'll have your background intro your methods your results your discussion your conclusion and so it's kind of like having six or five really big assignments all condensed into one mm. where one whole assignment is just one chapter that mm. makes sense. Mm. So you end up having all these big chapters which are published sort of studies. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of the, it's the data collection part of that which is the most difficult because you sort of rely on everyone else to collect that data and then once all the data is collected for your studies, you just then have to write the whole thing up. So mm. It's yeah. pretty awesome that you have publications though and people will be referring to it. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is, it is cool. I've got a couple already in snowboarding and you get the little email notification when someone cites you and your, your chest pops up a little bit. <laughs> so what are some like challenges? Obviously, a uh, collection of data. What else you found? Because maintaining a life outside of study and jobs and training and all of this sort of stuff as well just must be tricky. And you also mentioned with the scholarship. So is that mm. like you're trying to filter in work outside of this as well or...? Mate, everything about it is challenging for me. Like it's it's this PhD is the biggest challenge that I'll probably ever have. And it's because I'm not probably naturally the smartest person. Like I think I have to work a little bit harder just to get things that most people yeah. get fairly quickly. And um so for me it's probably just the the critical thinking part of it is what the critical thinking part is what I've learned the most and is it was my biggest weakness going in. And it's been the biggest struggle during, but it's something that I'm now very confident in my ability to do. And it's just the ability to not accept everything as is and just simply like question it or question the methods or why have they done it? How have they done it? Can it be done better? Mm. Um, 
And so that was really challenging because even with like research papers, you would you would see a research paper and you'd just assume like, oh, this is published research. Like, isn't this just absolutely perfect? But then you have to question <laughs> everything about it and the yeah. methods. And so um, that's been really difficult, but that's the biggest thing that I've learned. Um, but then the time commitment of it is just huge. Like most PhD students, they sleep under their desk every night and don't have any other life, mm. have any other life outside of it. And um, I've seen that. Like I shared an office doing my master's with other PhD students and um, who are some of my best friends, but it can really consume you. But I've made a deliberate effort to add on other commitments like you know, running a business and, and doing these ultras and mm. to make sure that I, I prioritize my health and sleep first. That's what a lot of PhD students sort of neglect. Mm. Um, and then make sure that I'm doing other stuff as well. Because it's, it's one of those things like it'll take as long as you want it to take. It's like, I think Tim Ferriss says it a lot where it's like, if you want to clean your room in in 30 minutes, you'll get it done in 30 minutes. But if you want to take the whole day, it'll take you the whole day. It's Parkinson's law. Parkinson's. Mm. There you go. Yeah, I'm teaching the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, or if it's the same thing that you're referring to, but it's uh, the length of a task can always expand or contract to the site, the available time, I think it was. Yeah, amazing. Well, I've yeah, that's been a huge part of how to how I fit everything in because it's like mm. you could drag any of these things out for years at a time. Whereas like doing these three massive things like PhD, business, training, like there's 24 hours in a day, but it's made me you know to fit my training in. I'll get up at 3 a.m. until mm. six. I'll work on business from six till nine. PhD from nine till four and then business from four till seven and then go to bed and it's like mm. if i just had the whole day to do phd i would take the whole day to do the phd mm. um so yeah no that's i think they're implementing and amy was telling me in schools and stuff that um they'll try to break up the hour like and, and i think there's probably so many different ways that people are doing it as well but i know for myself like same thing if i'm like wednesdays is our office day and if I keep my laptop open and there's emails just trickling in, it'll take me all day to attend to them. Whereas like if I check it when I first get in there and at the end of the day, I'm just so much more like proficient at the job. Absolutely. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it's so it's so cool just to hear how you can fit so much in as well. And like I think doing this podcast and just looking at so many inspiring people, part of the exciting thing for me everyone's sort of made up of the same stuff so it's like well if, if mm. they're doing it like why not 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 saying that i'm gonna go do a phd <laughs> oh, yeah no i can run a hundred mile yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no that's that's epic mate like it's there were so many things that i was keen to chat about tonight and like it's i feel like we've only scraped the surface especially for the fact that we've pretty newly minted as friends yeah. as well but yeah. yeah it's been pretty epic um we are a bit over an hour now as well i'm conscious of your time but we did give you those two little questions that we ask everyone oh, um yes, but i'll read them back to you now so first one being do you recall a favorite failure that has benefited you in the long run yeah and the second one was the billboard one yeah i kind of merged them together if that's cool those two Mate. questions yeah because um, the biggest mistake or the billboard one if we can start with that sure yeah, yeah. which was um well what was the exact Corey? question? Uh, if you had a billboard that everyone could see, what would it say? Yeah, so it'd be really simple and it would just be take action because the biggest mistake that I... Mistake's a bit of a weird word for me. Like, yeah, the biggest mistake that I've made was not taking action for so long. Like, I went through a period of my life where 
all I did was just read books, listen to podcasts, listen to TED Talks, just con- consume, consume, consume all this knowledge. Um, and then wondering why like my life wasn't perfect. Like why wasn't I doing all these amazing things that these people in these books have taught me? And it was because I hadn't actually put any of that into action in my life. I hadn't mm. consciously gone out of my way to practice any of those things. Um, and so over, I reckon about three years, I just accumulated all this knowledge. And, and as I've brought this up with other people, like a lot of other people have sort of resonated with that where they're like, yeah, we like, I love consuming things and listening to and reading books but i don't think enough of us actually put any of that into action so so now like i don't even get through a full book i just read like a chapter and go how can i implement something in this chapter into this week so it might be another chapter on communication and and actually yeah that was two weeks ago it was like practicing how to listen um listen with the intent to understand rather than listening with the intent to respond because that's something that I'm shocking at. And so I just read that little chapter and I was like, okay, this week I'm just going to purely focus on whenever I'm talking to someone, listen with the intent to understand and then respond like in your own time. And um, so, yeah, I think just in general, in this information age, we have enough information coming in, but we need to put a lot more out into the world through Mm -hmm. taking action. And that's, yeah, something I wish I'd learnt a lot earlier. Yeah, mm, that's I like that. Yeah, I think you've touched on that before, Corey. I, it was it no, was it Naval? Yeah, Someone? the Joe Rogan. Yeah, uh, yeah, but he he spoke about was it like reading books but not completely or something like that or because I I used to get he's not just reading the book for the sake of reading the book. Yeah, yeah, mm. like he's yeah he'll read as you're saying like a chapter. Yeah, make sure he understands it. it. Mm like um implements it and then yeah because i always used to look at books as trophies like i still try my best not to now because it's like come check out my Mm. library (laughs) (laughs) absolutely but now it's like even and and for me i get quite i don't know if ocd is the word for it but like i hate having something unfinished as well so if i'm but if i'm looking listening to an audio book or a podcast or whatever now i really try to exercise myself by going am I enjoying this or am I taking anything away from it? And if the answer is no, I'm like, well, move on to the next thing. Within within a healthy boundary as well, like not just bouncing from task to task Mm. or whatever it is. But yeah, I think it's so important just to kind of get past that. And yeah, that's pretty cool though Mm. that you can just like take a, something like that. Oh, well, it's, it's the hardest part. Like it requires so much vulnerability and uncertainty to actually take that action. And I think Mm. like a lot of us, probably just call ourselves like perfectionists if we just don't want to like if we want to avoid something or like no i just want to do it properly it's like no just do it because it's going to be better than not doing anything at all and Mm. i just fell into that trap for such a long time where you think you're being so proactive and productive like yeah um you know i would have read like i think i've read every self-development book that is (laughs) on the market at the moment and you just feel so righteous about yourself and it's like well how much of that have you actually used in your life and that's Mm. where instead of reading 50 books a year it's like just maybe read two or three and just change your life in like one or two little components of that because that's yeah knowledge isn't the power it's that action from Mm. that knowledge which is the powerful part so yeah have you got any recommendations on (laughs) the best self-development book oh mate (laughs) actually my my go-to um read his thesis (laughs) no one wants to do any publication (laughs) just google scholar ah damn um 
No, the Stephen Covey, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think mm-hmm. that is just like, it's a really old book, uh, like really old. But I think I haven't read a book since that that hasn't sort of mentioned something in there. It's it's a very holistic approach to just living like a value based and a purpose sort of based life, and taking responsibility for everything in your life. It's that's like a Bible for me. It's it's incredible. Mm. Um, but at the moment, I'm rereading the um, res- the good old Resilience Project. Oh yeah, <laughs> can't read that enough yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, that's great. yeah. It's pretty pretty interesting story he's got. I um, I've been enjoying on Instagram. Oh, it's actually by a guy who I can't remember right now. It's Daily Stoic mm. on Instagram, yep. and it got me on the tangent of like Marcus Aurelius and um, I think his book Meditations or whatever. But it's just the whole idea of stoicism and hearing it all it was like there was a couple of things that really interest me and one of them was the fact that it's however many thousand years it's been between us and them not not much has really changed like as far as the internal dialogue goes and like and part of me was like well that kind of sucks because like there's no progression made but then i was like well that's also good to see that people were able to work out back then what a good life means and then i think for me it was always like just finding purpose and realizing that you have to create purpose. It's not just like going to mm. be found sort of thing. And that's why mm. like doing this podcast or doing these um, exercises, like the run that we've got in December and stuff like that's just like gets me excited and half and about for it. Love but, it. Yeah. yeah. No, nah, it's, it's epic. like, I honestly have so much fun and recording these um, are always an awesome time. So yeah. Thanks Heap, for coming down, mate. Legends. Thanks for having yeah. me. It's been great. Also, what are you going to go by once you are a doctor? The- what do you mean? Dr. Rick? Or? Oh, just as long as you say doctor at the start. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, epic, man. Dr. Rick, that's good, yeah. <laughs>